Hey guys, today we're going to dive into the extremely controversial conversation about race and the perception of racism in this country and what that looks like using a new study that came out this month. Check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Hey there. Okay, today I want to dive right in deep into the very controversial subject, controversial subject of race and the racial climate of the United States. And that's a super complicated and weighty topic, but I figure, well, that's kind of what I've been talking about is weighty (laughs) topics. So why should I be inclined to steer clear of this one? So I actually came across, I heard of this report um, that just came out this month. I believe it was this month, April of 2021. And it's a newer report. And I was, I heard about it first on a podcast and then I found this gentleman and kind of read through his report, and I found it really, really interesting. And I, the reason why I want to kind of just go through the report with you guys is from my perspective, and again, that's all I have to offer you, right? Just newsflash, gaining my perspective podcast. That's all I'm able to do here is work to gain and broaden my own perspective and share with y'all as I do that <laughs> in hopes that it will help you, you know, challenge you to do the same. But as I have navigated this last, gosh, almost a a year, right, of trying to understand and being called to understand, right, there is this, this push to read and have this conversation. And, you know, you're, if you're not seeing things a certain way, then it's because you don't understand and you need to, you know, better understand and blah, blah, blah. So I have been doing that. Like I've, I've been actively participating in that acquiring of knowledge and acquiring of perspective. But I have to say that I, when I look back and I, I've had this conversation with my husband a couple of times, he was raised in Illinois. I was raised in California. He specifically spent some time in his early childhood in the suburbs of Chicago, a different experience than me in rural Northern California. So we have different perspectives growing up, but we, um, you know, we can come together on our memory of our childhood having a sense of, um, I guess I should say, we did not have a sense of this massively racist culture that we're supposed to be living in. This, this, you know, really prevalent racial, racial tension when we were growing up as kids. And that's not because we were isolated. You know, we both actually, my high school was probably upwards of 70% Hispanic and his, you know, when he was living in the suburbs of Chicago had all kinds of racial interactions on his street in his school. And there wasn't this sense of tension then that there most certainly is now. Um, And there's all kinds of different 
you know, dynamics and, you know, being called a racist or a white supremacist or, you know, white guilt or uh, white fragility or all these words that I, you know, just were not at all a part of my life until the last year, <laughs> if I'm being fully honest, again, my perspective. And so I, I'm just eager to understand where is this coming from? Why does it suddenly seem to be worse? Um, because if it's, if this is a perpetuation of a situation that started at the, you know, conception of our country, um, again, this is a, a you know, a, a, a narrative that's being presented that our country was founded in these, you know, really nefarious ways rooted in slavery and then you know moving through the civil rights era into today where we've we've have not it would almost feel like we just haven't made progress we're just like still very much in the same place and my perception has been until this last year that's not true is that can't be the truth like we've made so much progress this wasn't a part of our story until recently and so this last year i'm trying to understand where did this perception shift because if you know the catalyst in a lot of ways was um George Floyd last summer and then of course there's been a number of of you know police involved um presumed to be racially motivated situation scenarios and you know they're highly emotionally charged issues of course right and it has unfortunately become a politicized and partisanship issue, which again is, it's unfortunate because it shouldn't be that, but it is, that is an element. And so that's why this report was so interesting to me in light of all of that perspective that I walked into last year with now trying to look back and be reflective of absolutely I've learned things and absolutely I'm understanding things in a different way. But I also feel that there's been this um, movement by well-meaning people of all races to move into empathy and compassion, which is not wrong. Absolutely, we need love, empathy, and compassion. Absolutely, without question, no argument. I've There's so much power there. But also, in um, it cannot be at the sacrifice of truth. It can't be... Um, you know, we can't turn towards compassion and turn away from truth because I don't think that it is compassionate to eliminate truth from any situation, right? I know in my own personal life, when I have had trauma, when I have been triggered, and you know, there's always going to be uh, experiential things that's going to cause that for people, I have to at some point, you know, with emotion, go through and find the root, find the truth. And in so many ways, finding the truth comes from finding the places where I've been deceived or where I've believed a lie, which has moved me more um, in a direction that isn't going in the direction of healing or reconciliation, but rather it's moving me away from truth, away from reconciliation. <laughs> Because I feel like we're moving in the wrong direction on this topic and I'm, you know, evaluating all the time, why is that happening? Why are we doing that? I have to go back and look at where are the lies, right? Where are the deceptions that have led us off track? 
And I know for me so many times, it's when I become hyper emotional, hyper angry, hyper frustrated, that I can't quite see things the way that they actually are, right? And so again, that's why this report to me was so interesting because it does shed some light on where the deception is. And please hear this as I go through this, that again, my heart is not to say that there you know, that grief or trauma that is being experienced by any individual person or people group is is incorrect or invalid, even if it is based on a, a deception or even if it is, you know, a manipulation of um, if someone has manipulated and emotional response or an agenda or a narrative or what have you, it does not invalidate a person's experience, but it's relevant to bring that into the conversation. It's relevant to talk about that also because deception is not of God, right? And I've said this before, the truth is the light. And there is so much darkness in this situation and in this conversation and in this country around this issue right now that we need some truth because we need some light, to shine on this thing. We need some light, some divine light to come through. So we have to search for the truth. And sometimes that means searching for the deception. So I'm going to just walk through this. And this is, I'm reading from Newsweek. I'll cite it in the um, show notes, but I'm only reading from Newsweek because that's where I found the, um, (laughs) the report from this gentleman. His name is Eric Kaufman. He's a professor of politics at Birkbeck College at the University of London. And his report says, I'm just going to read right in from it. He did a report um, for the Manhattan Institute. It was called The Social Construction of Racism in the United States. I'm going to read. The report is an analysis of a wide variety of data sources, including several new surveys that I conducted. And what I found is that media exposure, partisanship, and a person's anxiety or depression level explain much of what passes for racism today, as well as essentially all of its reported rise. So this is why this is so interesting to me, because I'm coming off, off of the report here. He's, he's specifically looking at the areas where p- potentially our identity politics, our partisanship, our media exposure, and our own sense of just anxiety around certain issues is actually influencing not just um, uh, our experience of these things, but actually our, it's deceiving our perception of these things, which I think is so interesting. So I'm going to continue reading. The idea that party identification shapes perception, for example, is pretty uncontroversial. And social scientists have long known that exposure to unusual events that make news shapes our perception. Gallup surveys consistently show that concern with racism tends to spike after major events like the Ferguson protests, George Floyd's killing, or Trump's election. So again, when you get these Um, unusual events, to use his word, that are hyper-covered, right? Lots of of media coverage actually escalates. There's a spike of feelings of racism in our country after these events. Okay, back to the report. But this effect has been in hyperdrive in recent years, and there's evidence to suggest that the constant beating of the racist drum has led many to see racism where they didn't previously see it. So this would speak 
to my perception that now there seems to be racism everywhere. And I didn't, that is not my experience growing up, right? I grew up in a time where I worshiped Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, and we loved the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls. And my favorite groups were TLC, Brandy, and Boys to Men, you know. Um, maybe I'm dating myself here a little bit, but we had a crossover culture happening when I was growing up where the Cosby show was the top rated primetime television show for all audiences, not specifically divided by race. And, you know, furthermore, on Friday, TGIF TV, which was like the TV shows that everybody watched, there was four of them from six to 10 or whatever. We would, Family Matters was one of those, Steve Urkel, right? I remember watching Tia and Tamara, uh, Sister, Sister, right? So there was such a crossover culture. So again, this this spoke to my perception of there seems to be more racism today than there than there was when I was growing up. Is that real? He's suggesting that, yes, that's real. And why is that happening? So let's keep reading. Mentions of racism in national news outlets have soared since 2015, and this media activity has coincided with a drop in the number of Americans who describe black-white relations as good. From 2002 to 2013, 70% of Americans believed that race relations were good, a number that dropped to half after 2014. So again, just a reflection of my personal experience being here in these numbers, right? 70% of Americans saying race relations are good, only a handful of years ago, less than a decade ago. That's an interesting uh, data point. Back to the report. How do I know that negative media attention to race rather than an actual worsening reality is driving perception? Here's where my research comes in. To get at this question, I asked respondents the following question. Did they believe young black men were more in danger of dying in a car crash or of being shot by police? There is a correct answer to that question. Cars are around 10 times more lethal to young black men than police bullets. But it was something people on one side of the political spectrum were much more likely to know than the other side. I asked respondents a second question to test this. Do they believe white Republicans are racist? And what I found was that people who answered yes to that second question, that white Republicans are racist, were much less likely to accurately assess whether cars or cops were more lethal to black men. My survey found that 70% of white Americans and 95% of black Americans who both agree with the statement white Republicans are racist believe that young black men are more likely to be shot by the police than to be killed in a traffic accident. Fully 53% of Biden voters got the answer wrong compared to just 15% of Trump voters. This is not about intelligence or about being informed. Indeed, educational attainment made no difference to the result. So this is so interesting to me, namely because what I said at the beginning is this reveals to us a deception, right? Where we are being misled, right? Again, this does not undermine the fact that if you are experiencing trauma from this perception that your trauma is not legitimate. That is not what I'm saying. When we are hurt, when our heart is hurt, God's heart breaks, no matter the reason. But what this reveals is 
this is an element of truth that we need to bring into the picture to to move us closer to healing and reconciliation, right? That our perception, which is being manipulated on purpose, our perception, which is being manipulated, is causing more harm, is inflating the hurt, the trauma, the pain. And so in order to block ourselves from that further trauma, continuing to be manipulated by that narrative, we need to know where the truth is so that we can guard our hearts a little bit better against that. So I just thought that was such a fascinating revelation to where there is some truth that we have, you know, been shifted off of. Okay, back to the report. Much of the false perception we have of rising racism is due to traditional news media. I think we can all agree on that. But a lot of it comes from social media too, which is accelerating the problem. In the same survey, 53% of black Americans who use social media say they had experienced people acting suspicious around them, compared to 31% of black Americans who do not use social media. Across several questions, controlling for age, income, education, and other factors, social media exposure significantly increased a black person's sense that they have been a victim of racial discrimination. So again, all that this is doing is revealing a place where deception is happening, right? Where we are not centered on truth, on, on actual, the actual reality, right? Back to the report. And rather than a corrective higher education where students are exposed to far left ideas on race like critical race theory may lead to even greater sensitivity to racism. Research tends to find that minorities with degrees are more likely to report discrimination than their non-college educated counterparts. My survey also showed that college educated black Americans are significantly more likely than those without a degree to be offended by so-called microaggressions like people saying, quote, I don't notice race, unquote. So this is really interesting because this suggests that there is a far left lean or bias in higher education. Now, I did some research on this because my own perception is that is true, (laughs) just from my own experience in higher education, but also from the conversations I have. If you have your BA or more, more so if you have a master's or a doctorate, you are much more likely to be Um, aligning with the left side of the political spectrum and oftentimes even more leaning far left, right? Um, That has been my perception, but I wanted to dig in and see if that is true. And I discovered a study that showed, and I can link that in the show notes as well, that the national average is that colleges and universities have a six to one ratio of liberal to conservative professors. So that is um, six to one being receiving a bias of a liberal professor versus a conservative. So it's not equally balanced, but that's a national average. If you happen to go to school somewhere like in New England, for example, it's far more lopsided where they're seeing more of a 28 to one. So 28 liberal to one conservative professor. So depending on where you went to school, you may or may not be more likely to lean in a certain direction. But there's no question that the national average supports the fact that higher education has a lean due to the bias of the people teaching. Because when you are teaching, you have the ability to um, argue points according to your um, 
your value system. You ha- you assign assignments. You are dictating what is read and what is not read, um, what exposure to certain thinkers or schools of thought you're giving. And then when we know and, and understand critical race theory, where it came from, where it originated, how it's implemented, where it's found in our government, in our military, in our school system, and most certainly in our higher education school system, what is critical race theory? That's a whole nother podcast. But when you understand all these factors, you you go, okay, holy macaroni, we are really starting to see, and I'll use the word, indoctrination. And I wanted to give us a little bit of a definition here. Indoctrination is the process of teaching a person or a group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Okay, that word uncritically might be where you give yourself pause and say, hold on. Well, let me just say from my own perspective here that when I was in school, 18, 19, 20, 21, in college, I was not as concerned about critically thinking about my homework assignments as I was about getting them done. Now, perhaps if I went to school now as a 37-year-old who has more of a life experience, lived experience, and I understand politics a little bit differently, perhaps that would not be the truth. But most certainly, when I had zero political inclination as an 18-year-old, right, only just able to vote, just beginning to understand the world as it was, I remember wearing around a shirt that said, um, not my president, with George Bush on the uh, on the front of it, um, George W. Bush, <laughs> to, to give myself an appropriate dating there. Um, and I had no idea why I wore that shirt, just because I knew that's what most of my friends thought. And so I wore that shirt because I'm like, this will signal that I am intellectually smart, right? That I have intellectually deep thoughts. And I didn't even really know how, if anyone were to have asked me or challenged me about that, I, I would have been able to recite sound bites. I would have been able to recite uh, news headlines, perhaps, I would not have been able to engage in a well-thought-out, non-emotional conversation about why I believed, why I didn't like his presidency, or why I thought what I thought, or why I wore that shirt, right? Wouldn't be able to do it. And we see this again and again. YouTube's such a fun spot to go for that, where we see people going on to college campuses and challenging college students to articulate the opinions they, they themselves say they have, it's really, it's a fumble show. And of course it is. This is an 18, 19, 20 year old, right? Only just walking into the world of adulthood, only just walking outside of the sphere of influence of their parents. So of course it's going to be a fumble show, right? That's okay. But in order to critically think, so to use this indoctrination definition, in order to critically think on a college campus, you have to go in thinking conservatively. You have to challenge the narrative that you're being handed and go, let me go find out, let me seek sources that would be in direct contradiction to this so that I can critically think about what I think is true. Now, what I see happening when I engage in conversations with people is they'll ask me before we engage any further in the conversation, what's your source? And then I'll tell them my source and then they will go about discrediting the source before we're going to talk about the information. And I'm like, that's a slippery slope here because, and here's an example from my own life. I know I lean conservative. That is my bias. So when I was discovering that the coronavirus in the beginning of COVID-19, this was being very politically motivated. I could sense that right out of the gate and I didn't know what the truth was about this virus and I was very nervous about it, lots of fear. I intentionally went to the New York Times, which is very left-leaning, to read the news because I wanted to counteract my 
conservative bias. I wanted to be able to critically think, what am I feeling and thinking? And what is the alternative perspective, feeling and thinking and and putting out to the world? It's going to be somewhere in between. It's I'm not right and they're wrong. It's somewhere in between. My bias is going to influence my ability to be objective. So I need to seek out the alternative perspective on purpose in order to critically think. Now, if I don't do that, I am subject to indoctrination. I'm subject to being handed a bias and an echo chamber, right? So I think that's important. Let's jump back into um, our study. But this isn't just a question of getting a question wrong on a survey. The effect this false perception of rising racism is having on society, especially on Black Americans, is devastating. And just reading a few paragraphs written by someone with an extreme view on racism in America can have an impact, I found. So he says, Eric. I asked some black survey respondents to read a passage from the critical race theory inspired writer Tahanishi Coates. For example, a passage from Coates writing about how, quote, the police department of your country have been endowed with the authority to destroy your body, end quote. To others, I gave nothing to read or a mild paragraph. What I found was staggering. Reading even a single paragraph from Coates had a significant impact on Black respondents' ability to believe in their own agency. Just 68% of Black respondents who read Coates' paragraph agreed with the statement, quote, when I make plans, I am almost certain that I can make them work, compared to 83% of those who did not, a a statistically significant event. So put that in better language. 83% of Black Americans agree that when they make plans, they're almost certain they can make their plans work. 83% of Black Americans agree with that statement if they don't, if they're not exposed to critical race theory inspired narratives, which immediately drops to 68% of Black Americans agree with that statement if they are exposed to that kind of narrative. Okay, I'm going to use that word, propaganda. Here's the definition. Information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. If this is not propaganda, I do not know what is because critical race theory is a theory. It is not based in science. It is not measurable. And it is entirely based off Marxism, which is totally agenda-based. We should all do a podcast about that and learn a little bit more because it is staggering when you really understand what critical race theory is all about. Back to the report. In other words, even brief exposure to critical race theory narrative disempowers black people. This reinforces previous research that found that heightened perceptions of racism cause harms, causes harms, harm to black Americans. Moreover, the effect is being amplified by politics and higher education. Black Biden voters were twice as likely as black Trump voters to say that they personally experienced more racism under Trump than under Obama. And liberal black Americans with a college degree were almost 30 points more likely to be offended by white people saying things like, quote, I don't notice people's race or, quote, America is a colorblind society than were black Americans without degrees who identify as conservative. So what this is telling us that a certain side of the political aisle 
is for whatever reason becoming more sensitive to perceive racism. And the longer you're in the education system, also the more you are both aligning with that left bias as well as being more sensitive to the perception of racism. Back to the report. There was, however, consistency on one front. Throughout my surveys, African-Americans see themselves as independent and resilient, while white liberals are more inclined to see them as weak and needing protection. When asked whether political correctness was demeaning to black people or necessary to protect them, 51% of black liberals chose demeaning and 49% chose necessary. But white liberals chose necessary by a 62 to 38 margin. You can see this in another one of the survey questions. I asked respondents, quote, if you had to choose which is your ideal society, one option was, quote, minorities have grown so confident that racially offensive remarks are no longer affecting them. The other option read, quote, the price for being racist is so high that no one makes racially offensive remarks anymore. Which is your preferred society is the question. The difference between black and white respondents was significant and instructive. 47% of black liberals chose the resilient option in which they were immune to racially offensive remarks compared to just 29% of white liberals. Interesting. In casting black Americans as uniquely in need of protection, white liberals are actually having that impact, shaping a reality that harms people of color. And this perception is in direct contradiction with reality. Attitudes to interracial, interracial marriage and interaction have become steadily more liberal across the nation, while the number of black people shot by the police has declined significantly by 60 to 80 percent since the 1960s. When the media exaggerates the level of racism in America, redefining non-racist words and actions as racist, this distortion of reality is not just false, it's actively disempowering minorities. So I have harped on this before, but it needs to be said again. When we say things are racist that are not racist, like a voter requiring an ID, which is free and available to anyone at any time and is required for almost all participation in the United States in society, to call that racist is not only diminishing, it's false, it's diminishing the actual definition of the word racist. It's like crying wolf, right? And it's actively disempowering minorities, this study finds. When we, when our president says that voter ID is like Jim Crow on steroids, I can't even imagine, because I did not walk through Jim Crow, I can't even imagine putting those two things side by side, what that actually does to your experience of walking out actual Jim Crow, because they're not the same. And to call it Jim Crow on steroids, this is diminishing the words Language is important. It is so to redefine non racist words and actions as racist is distorting reality and actively disempowering minorities. We have got to stop that. We have got to stop that. Okay, off my diet, off my little soapbox. Racism, like crime, is unlikely to ever fall to zero. This is an unfortunate reality. But progressive media's mining for racism has reached a point of diminishing returns with perceptions doing more harm than good. Again, this is Eric Kaufman, professor of politics at Birkbeck College, University of London, 
affiliated with the Manhattan Institute. This is called the Center. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. And the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. I found that just so interesting, so instructive, and so informative for us to, again, just try to figure out discerning the voice of God, you guys. I just, I'm doing a study right now, a Bible study, learning that <laughs> that art, which is a, a journey you walk out over the whole, the course of your whole life, right? It's, it's a, the enemy disguises himself as the angel of light. So it is tricky to discern the voice of God. And it's not so much discerning right from wrong. That oftentimes is obvious. It's discerning right from almost right. You know what I'm saying? That's where we're at, where when we are being hurt trauma traumatized and triggered by a narrative that is intentionally being put in front of our face hyperinflated very emotionalized it again it doesn't minimize the hurt and the trauma that's coming from this but it this can give us some revelation as to where the deception is so that we can look a little bit further to find where the truth is i hope that was helpful you guys Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now that anything that is not of you, Lord, anything that is not pointing people away from an identity that could be harmful or disempowering, Lord, that you would just eliminate it. I pray that we are strong enough and brave enough to share the truth of our identity found in you, Lord, that you are the one setting us free, that true freedom is found only in you, Lord. Please soften our hearts. Please embolden our spirits to have these hard conversations, Lord, and to receive them in a way um, that is lacking offense, Lord. It is so hard to have these conversations. It's so hard to navigate this topic. I just ask that um, we're able to come together as the greater church and just as the greater human race, Lord, to really start to understand how can we move past? How can we overcome? How can we land together again on the other side of this, Lord? It's in your son's name and his holy power that we pray. Amen.